Hi, I'm David Terra, and welcome to our live stream news and interview show, Cloud Industry Forum Presents TWF, courtesy of our friends at Disruptive Live or in this wonderful virtual studio. I'm the CEO of Cloud Industry Forum, which is a not-for-profit uh, membership-driven trade body that champions and helps accelerate the adoption of cloud technology and services. We've got members like Lenovo and Kaizo PR and Acronis and Broadcom and Hewlett Packard Enterprise and Ingram Micro and OVH Cloud and others like that. If you want to find out more about us, we're at cloudindustryforum.org. This show goes live on Mondays at 10 o'clock. Each week we start with some tech stories or an opinion piece on something that's uh, sparked our interest and then we interview a guest. Today it's a renowned expert on leadership and we'll be talking about his latest book, but more on that later. We're on the lookout for guests to come on the show, so if you've got something uh, interesting to talk about, something that's supported by cloud technology, then we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us in the comments here. You can email us at info at cloudindustryforum.org. I'm at DET on X. I'm David Terra on Threads. You can search for me on LinkedIn. Now, um, today's news and opinion section can't be about anything else but last week's groundbreaking AI Safety Summit, the first of its kind uh, arranged by a government hosted at Bletchley Park, which with its code-breaking history is a fitting venue for discussing groundbreaking technology. The King was involved on video, 28 countries attended, plus the EU, the Council of Europe, the United Nations, various academia, um, civil society groups, technology companies, industry bodies, collectively more than 120 representatives. The summit's stated objective is to turbocharge um, action on the safe and responsible development of frontier AI around the world. Now, it's interesting that they've latched onto that frontier AI term. Um, the government chosen definition is highly capable, general purpose AI models that can perform a wide variety of tasks and match or exceed the capabilities present in today's most advanced models. I worried that that was narrowing the focus to leading edge AI and that might miss existing problems. But I see the scope actually covered other narrow AI that can hold potentially dangerous um, or uh, you know, capabilities as well. Actually, the Frontier AI term is also used by OpenAI, the authors of ChatGPT, and the body they set up in July with Anthropic and Google and Microsoft. It's called the Frontier Model Forum, an industry body focused on in, uh, ensuring safe and responsible development of Frontier AI models. Uh, but I suggest that that's a move by major vendors to be seen to be self-regulating before governments step in. I'm pleased to report that all four of those organizations were actually represented at the summit. And I'll quote from their July the 6th paper on the topic. Uh, we term frontier AI models, highly capable foundational models that could possess dangerous capabilities sufficient to pose severe risks to public safety. Frontier AI models pose a distinct regulatory challenge. Dangerous capabilities can arise unexpectedly. It's difficult to robustly prevent uh, a deployed model from being misused and it's difficult to stop a model's capabilities from proliferating broadly. Quite a challenge. Now, last week's summit specifically focused on misuse risks and loss and control risks, so they were taking a risk-based approach. The instant success, of course, out of that summit was that on the first day, they published a, a joint Bletchley Declaration supported by all 28 countries and the EU, and notably that includes China and USA and, of course, us. It talks about a, a human-centric, trustworthy, and responsible approach. I'm going to quote again from, from that declaration. Identifying AI risks of shared concern, 
building a shared scientific and evidence-based understanding of these risks and sustaining that understanding as capabilities continue to increase in the context of a wider global approach to understand the impact of AI in our societies. And they also said, building respective risk-based policies across our countries to ensure safety in light of such risks, collaborating as appropriate while recognising our approach may, may, approaches may differ based on national circumstances and applicable legal frameworks. This includes alongside increased transparency by private, act, by private actors, developing frontier AI capabilities, appropriate evaluation metrics, tools for safety testing, and developing relevant public sector capability in scientific research. Now, that all sounds very promising, but I'd like to have seen more emphasis on AI's role on social media in misrepresentation and bias and fake news. Should there have been more um, uh, attention on protection for IP creators? I haven't heard much about the environmental Im impact of our huge increase in the use of AI either. I get the idea of a light touch approach. We do need guardrails and we do need appropriate regula regulation that doesn't stifle innovation or add unnecessary process. But it actually wasn't all plain sailing for the government. Representatives from 11 of the civil society groups that were involved issued an open letter um, uh, during the conference saying governments must do better than today's discussions suggest and asking for more participation beyond the global north. And we have competing agreements. Uh, also uh, on the first day at the US Embassy in London, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris unveiled a package of actions on AI that included a political declaration signed by 30 other countries. That's a few more than those who signed up the Bletchley, Bletchley Declaration we just mentioned. Interesting competition. We're all, we'll be keeping a close eye on what happens next as a result of the summit. Um, as the rate of adoption of AI across all industry sectors continues to accelerate, we're going to be coming back to this topic of regulation again and again. It's a shame today's guest uh, can't be in the studio with me because he's actually eight inches taller than me, so I'd actually need a box so that I could uh, you know, be level with his, uh, with his, with his head. But um, I'm really looking forward to what we're going to discuss. He's a Californian, but he lives here in the UK by choice. Um, he's an incredibly sought-after keynote speaker, and I think this is probably about the fourth time that we've done something like this. He's Art Michael Anderson. So Michael, please introduce yourself and what you do. Well, David, it, it, if it makes you feel better, I don't think I've ever been interviewed by anybody taller than me. So we're, we're off to a good start. So for those just probably seeing my head, I'm, I'm about six foot eight, 2.03 meters. Um, I did play some basketball and I, um, I'm American living in the UK, like David said. And I started as a programmer and then I, I founded a couple of software companies, realized I was not a good leader had to sort that out really quick because it was causing emotional issues, mental issues. It was it was creating a lot of chaos in my personal life, much less really hampering where I wanted to go as a business person. So I ended up earning a master's in uh, a really unique master's degree in psychology. When I when I applied what I learned there to my leadership, we really started to have a lot of success. We won we were on the Inc. 5000 list a couple of years in a row. We were voted the number one best place to work, and I won Social Entrepreneur of the Year. That was externally. Finally, I was, I, but for the first time in my life, I was having fun and enjoying being a leader. Because up until then, I just it was I had so much imposter syndrome and self doubt, and then that was so difficult for me. But it was so rewarding at the other end that um, 
after 25 years in accounting software, I decided to sell those businesses. And now for the last decade or so, what I do is I teach leadership mindset. So I went on to get a neuroscience certificate and I teach leaders really how to step into their power, how to have that, that confidence, how to empower others and really come from an authentic place. What sort of things from that, that history that you described kind of shaped turning you into a better leader? Well, this is PG, so I probably can't talk about the divorce, the, the substance abuse, or when my business partner assaulted me and I had to have an armed guard handing him his restraining order the next day um, and his termination letter. But um, you know, what happened is I just I didn't have any I didn't have the emotional intelligence. I didn't understand who I was. I didn't have the tools and skills to really be a successful leader. I, I in a way I understood what being a leader was, I just didn't know how to get there. I understood about having a culture. I just didn't know how to change my company's culture. I saw people in my team weren't living up to their potential and I didn't know how to, to, to really enable that and to, to get them to the next level, to coach them and to champion them. And, and it was really difficult. I, it, it, I would go in and out of depressions. I would, um, you know, I mentioned some substance abuse. I had this really big issue with with my business partner sent me into a, a tailspin and I realized that that I had to I had to sort this out to really get to get to where I wanted to and I guess I'm a programmer and so I figured out well I got to figure out what makes me tick and what makes other people tick and that led to this this psychology training interesting um, you mentioned emotional intelligence there what what's what does um, you know how important is that as an ingredient of leadership I think it's one of the most important things. And emotional intelligence is, is a bit of a big, big word that covers a lot. But to me, to know who I am and what's going on within me at any given time, as well as who I'm dealing with, whether it's a customer or an employee, I think great leaders, what they do is, is they know when how to have a conversation with people that are in different states of mind. In, in a way, leadership is just a series of different different conversations, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's with a customer, whether it's a boardroom, whether you're addressing the whole organization. And as a leader, there's so much we can we do with our words and how we communicate or and how we listen. And when we really get a sense of where we're at, like am I triggered right now? Am I angry? Am I am I nervous or whatever that is? And then we can shift into a place of whether it's empathy, authenticity, listening. And we can also have the, the, the people, the person or people that we are dealing with. If we, we get a sense of where they're at right now, then we can, we can change what we say and how we say it to really get to a successful conversation. And, 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 that is, it's, and all that is definitely learnable, where you learn about your different states of mind and other people's states of mind. And then when you figure that out, though, you become much more of a successful and effective leader. Excellent. Now, I'm, I'm jealous of the fact that you've published a number of books. And, uh, and, and this year's one that, that was published this year is, is Leadership Mindset 2.0. Um, it says it uses evidence-based techniques rooted in psychology and neuroscience. Explain what that means a bit, please. Yeah, well, there's so much out there about leadership. And me, just like everybody else, it's fun listening to, you know, maybe a former Navy SEAL or, or special forces person or race car driver or basketball player or football player or whoever it is about 
their leadership, what they had to go through in leadership. And, and I do gain things from that, but you never know what's, what's just their experience and what works over and over. And that's really what I set out to do because I know how important it is. Every leader, we take on so much responsibility and it's really important that leaders have the skills and especially the mindset to really succeed. Because you can learn about management, but but to me, leadership is about your your presence. It's about holding people accountable from an empowering place. It's about creating a culture that you want of high achievers and, and, and A players. And to do that, you really need to know what's going to work. And and all, all leadership is a psychology, knowing about who how what makes you tick and what makes other people tick. So when you break it down like that, it, it's it's a lot easier to motivate and inspire people because you know how people are wired. And that's why once I, cause I went on to get a neuroscience certificate as well. And what I talk about evidence-based is um, I've done research studies with my own team. I've looked at what uh, the other research studies are. And what I do is I teach things that are tried and true based on psychology, not what I did winning a Super Bowl or, or the World Cup, which again, those things are cool. I just think it's different. When you're working in an office, you there's there's specific things you need to do to really drive that forward. Excellent. Now, uh, I've seen that this book shows 48 discrete skills, habits, and hacks. So uh, you're actually kind of giving people a kind of practical tool set on how to be a better leader. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it's, this is not a philosophical book. This is like, for example, I have, I have a, um, a system on how to have difficult conversations. And so it's like, you read that in a couple pages, you know the four steps to having a good, difficult conversation. This, so I really, it, it's a very much how-to manual, if that makes sense, on really how to, to, to be a leader. And I've worked really hard to take things that are maybe a lot of coaches have been working with their clients for a long time on and, and, and maybe that are found in the emotional intelligence book or different things and really made them bite-sized. Because as leaders, our number one resource is time. And if if somebody is going to invest the, the money and the time to buy my books, not even about the couple bucks that it, that it is, it's the time and the mind share. I want them to leave with things that are going to help them when they get back to the office that next day. That's going to help them in that board meeting to show up as a more strategic leader. That's going to really help their team get to to really where they want to go because then everybody's happier and everybody everybody's life's a bit better. Excellent. Now, what what's changed to make this new Mindset 2.0 that you talk about. You know the the mindset 1.0 as I define it is the top down. It's hey, I'm the boss. I want you to do what I say. And people have been doing that forever, and that doesn't work. All the statistics say that that people don't respect their leaders, that they don't believe in their leaders, they don't trust their leaders, and worldwide engagements at 17 percent, which is horrible, horrendous. So we have a lot of work to do. So what, what, by just giving orders, that doesn't work. And especially companies are seeing this and, and, and leaders are seeing this with the younger generation. The younger generation is amazing. The energy they have, the initiative they have, but they don't want to take orders. They want to be part of a purpose. They want to be able to grow as people. And when you, and there is time to, to give orders. There is time to hold people accountable. But to me, what you want to do when you have people, help people gain the confidence, the people that report to you, when you can help them grow as people, gain, teach them these emotional intelligence 
skills themselves and really develop the relationship with themselves and so that they become more confident and and take on more responsibility and enjoy that that's really when when they get a lot of out, out of it they enjoy being in your team then your team becomes a, a, a team of superstars and you're really making an impact on a bigger level both you as a, you as a leader everybody there in your team and your team inside the company there's an important kind of thing, uh, you know, implicit in, in that, in that, in that so, I mean, some people talk about born leaders, but what you're saying and what I agree with is, is that uh, leaders can be made. <laughs> I'll tell you, David, I, all my friends are business owners and I've seen almost all of them just transform in five or 10 years. I mean, it, it's and people out there listening and watching, if they think about themselves, if you think about yourself five or 10 years five or 10 years in the past and think about how far you've come as a leader. I'm sure you're more, more mature. You're more wise. You can, you listen more. You, you can read people better. That's absolutely shows that the leadership is learnable. Some people might be a little bit more charismatic out of the gate. Some people may be a little bit better as a speaker or this or that. Absolutely. If anybody wants to be a leader and they apply themselves, they can be. They just have to be willing to change. And I'm, I'm, I'm a good, good example of it. I mean, we've heard of Steve Jobs getting kicked out of Apple before and coming back after he got wiser. Um, there, absolutely, leadership is a learned skill. Excellent stuff. Now um, we're living in an interesting time. 2023 has been the year of generative AI and uh, um, large language models. How do you think leadership needs to adapt to this new technology landscape that's going to affect every industry sector? Yeah, it is, David. And, and, and I think it, I've been thinking about this and it'd be great to have a deeper conversation with you one day over a drink or something. And um, I just think that what leaders have to do is embrace it. And this is just another, this, this might be a, a big change. But as far as leaders go, we, I, I don't necessarily see AI changing what a leader has to do, but if anything, it brings out, we have to be more of leaders because we have to really understand what motivates people even more. And the people that are there, we're going to have to, they're going to be even more integral if AI is taking over some of the lower level tasks. And so we have, to, to me, we really want to be in touch with our people to give them what they need and take advantage of AI, but have it be in a very humanistic way. And it's going to raise a lot of ethical type questions. I don't necessarily see AI as taking over much of what a leader does. Maybe it'll take over some of the management, which will be good. Then you have more of your time opened up for leadership, where you can be creative, where you can be inspiring, where you can be more strategic. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see what 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 maybe ethical dilemmas, what personnel eth dilemmas will come out of this big change we're going to go through. Excellent stuff. Now, I mean, we've got generative AI at the moment, but there's more technology change coming. There's going to be more immersive mixed reality experiences, and we're going to be interacting with our technology uh, with um, not just a, a mouse and a keyboard, but with voice commands and with gesture. And, and, and we're, we're in an environment where you know, things are continuously changing. Um, is that kind of adapting to continuous change part of the new leadership mindset that you talk about? Yes, I mean, more than ever. And the, the, when it comes to change, what's interesting is they find that the that, that companies that need to change have to push decision-making down. 
The, the more an organization needs to adapt to change, the less it can be in a hierarchical leadership 1.0 uh, uh, structure as it is. And so as a leader, you're going to have to really understand and empower your people, the people that are, that are, are closest to the customer or what have you, to really be able to, to, to change. And that's what, that's what the studies coming out of the pandemic showed, is that the, the organizations that had decentralized decision-making that empowered their people could really roll with the changes during the pandemic um, much more than, other, than, than people that were more top-down. And that's really going to be the way going forward. So that's really a call to leaders to really make sure that people are empowered and you have the right systems in place to enable that. Excellent. So, Michael, kind of last question. Uh, what's the, the kind of the key message you'd like our audience to take away from today? Well, the, the key message in the book and what I tell everybody, and this, this is this, this I, I ask everybody to reflect on this is, your leadership is a reflection of the relationship with yourself. And what I mean by that is, for me, when I was into leadership and I wasn't really secure with myself, I spent so much time trying to be who I thought people wanted me to be. I wanted to be respected. I wanted people to look up to me. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be looked at as smart and successful. But that wasn't authentic. That, that took a lot of energy and that wasn't truly me. And then the more I got to know who I was, and that's why I talk about the relationship with yourself, the more I got to know, like, and trust myself, the more I stood up, stood forward as a leader and say, hey, look, this is who I am. This is my values. This is my vision. This is my purpose. If you're down with that, come and, come and join my team. If not, that's okay, but that's not, you're not going to be somebody that I work with. People want to know who you are, so you really have to get to know who you are. And that's where true confidence comes from. That's what true resilience comes from. And if anything else, so that's the big thing. And then the small thing that I'm going to tell everybody as leaders is give yourself a freaking break. You take on a lot of risk, a lot of responsibility. And I don't know about everybody else, but I'm my own harshest critic. And, you know, just give yourself a break. Don't take stuff too seriously. You're going to figure it out. Stuff's going to come back around. So as you roll with these punches, just, just focus on all the stuff you do right and give yourself a bit of a break when things don't go perfect. Excellent. Well, Michael, that's been absolutely marvelous. Lots of great ideas in there to think about. Um, I know that uh, people can find the Leadership Mindset 2.0 book on Amazon. How can they find out more about you? Yeah, so my name is, I go by R. Michael Anderson because there's too many Michael Anderson out there. So rmichaelanderson.com or Leadership Mindset, the book. Um, you know, or find me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people. And just say you, you, you met me on David's show and I'll, Maybe I'll send over something, something fun to you if you connect to me on LinkedIn. Excellent stuff. Michael, that's been fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure, pleasure. Well, I really hope you enjoyed uh, Michael on leadership. I thought that was fantastic. Um, same time next week, 10 o'clock on Monday. Please come and join us. If you want to find out more, email info at cloudindustryforum.org. Look forward to seeing you next week.